Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to Season 2 of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm still uh, basking in delight that we're on season two. I, I don't know where the first year went. And I know I keep saying that, but I have to be transparent to say that when you're doing something that you love, the time just passes. So my guest today is Mike Duffy, and I want to introduce Mike and tell you a little bit about him. The first and most heartfelt thing that I already love about Mike is he's a philanthropist. He's an author of five books on happiness. Who wouldn't want to talk to somebody about happiness during these unprecedented times? But what really intrigued me and excites me is Mike used to be the CEO of, or pardon me, is the CEO of his company, but he comes from an executive background. He used to be a senior VP at Merrill Lynch. So he has had the privilege and honor of working with some of the wealthiest people in Silicon Valley. And I love that he's transitioned into his own business and with strong anchorage and branding around happiness. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Deb, thank you so much for having me here. I'm very much looking forward to this wonderful interview. Well, and I get to talk to somebody who just basks in the in the uh, the joy of being joyful and resiliency and happiness and success. And it's exciting for me. So I'm so glad that we connected. So I'm going to jump into my questions if you're ready. Absolutely. This is a first for me to have uh, a senior executive leave their role and, and become CEO of their own business. So my first leadership question is, Tell us the story, the backstory of when you drew the line in the sand and thought, I'm going to get out of this rat race, and I think I want to move over here and do this, and this is why. Well, you know, I, as an independent fiduciary, which I now am, I don't have a boss. So basically, with my clients, I sit on the same side of the table with them. Every day, I go out into the financial world, and I look around. What is the best way to make money for my client? And I'll worry about a larger company stock price and all the layers of management that go down between you and your client. And I said, you know what? This is the best thing for my clients. And that's why I left and I opened up Happiness Wealth Management because I'm much happier and my clients are much happier. And, and the favorite part for me of that sentence is happiness precedes the words wealth management. Mm -hmm. And you and I share in the love of the word fiduciary. It's just so fun to say, isn't it? <laughs> People look at me and go, what does that mean? So you better, you better give a definition because when we use big words on this podcast, we got to be transparent and share what they mean. Well, a fiduciary is somebody who has to have the best wishes of their clients at the forefront. Absolutely. 
And it's, it's attached to finance, to money, to wealth management. And you're doing that beautifully now as the CEO of Happiness Wealth Management. So congratulations on your transition. And it sounds like there was no reservation. You were ready to make that, that leap. You know, I have to tell you, being the captain of your own ship is one of the greatest things that you can experience in life. You know, it is what happens a lot, you know, in America, it's a W-2 employee, which means that you work for a company, they pay you, and, you know, you're not taking on the risk of succeeding or failing. I mean, obviously, you can get fired and, and you have that risk, but... To know that every day I can make a difference without any interference from management in my clients' lives, that I can do the best thing for them, I go to smile. I've never been happier in my life. You know, I have, first of all, I get to choose where I want to work. And I I manage a 401k for a mid-sized accounting firm. And my accountant, Alan, said, Mike, when you choose where you're going to work, make it as close to your house as possible. I took that advice to heart. My office is two blocks away from my house, right? So all during COVID lockdown, I, I haven't left the office, right? But, you know, I, I'm here. Like, I get to go to work every day. Um, so it's, it's just wonderful. You know, I have a servant's mentality. To me, making other people happy makes me happy. The purpose of my life is to help other people get happier. That's why I've written five books on happiness. That's why I am the founder of the Happiness Hall of Fame. And in the hall is Muhammad Ali, Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco Giants, Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity, Tony Robbins, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, the Wounded Warrior Project. On and on and on, all these people that make other people happier, we recognize and, and encourage in the Happiness Hall of Fame. Well, I I can't even tell you how much I I love the initiative. I actually got to meet Muhammad Ali in an airport. You did, isn't it outrageously wonderful? It's a presence. It's you know, it's his. His silence is a presence. The, yeah. the size that he was was a presence. His humility yeah. and humbleness. And this is when I was much younger and we didn't even have cell phones. So I remember running to a, a phone booth to, to call my husband and go, you won't even believe who, who I just met. And he's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no. And he stopped so graciously and he, he put his bag down and I handed him my business card. And I said, I'd be so honored to have your autograph. And he took my pen with his shaky hand and he gave me his autograph. And then he he put his arm around me and gave me a little hug. And, and he whispered, thank you. And I, yeah. uh, it's so engraved in my heart. But, you know, our guests aren't seeing, but your face lights up when you talk about where you're at in your life. And, and I'm 31 years in business, Mike, at the end of this month. Yeah, you know, I... In November, it'll be 30 years for me. And and managing money is the only thing I've ever done since I got out of school. And, uh, you know, it's just to be able to make a positive change in somebody else's life really is the driver of why I get out of bed in the morning. 
And it's wonderful. And you make great relationships, you know, because in the United States, at least, I don't know how it is in Canada, but the last taboo in the U.S. is telling somebody how much money you make. You don't tell your parents how much you make. You don't tell your sister how much you make. But you have to tell me in order to open up an account. So once that final wall has been breached, people open up to me as, as if I was a psychologist or a priest. And I really consider myself a money priest in certain aspects because they won't tell their children about how much money they have and stuff like that. It's taboo. So I really get a place in people's lives where they can be fully honest for the first time. And it's a joy. Well, and and kudos to you. I used to be a medical case manager and I resonate with that comment because it just demonstrates to me how easily, but you don't take for granted the trust and rapport that you build with your clients. And I think money is right up there with talking about our health because anytime we're in one of those valleys of life, you know, I used to have an Irish Nana that said, Okay, there's a reason, a season, or a lesson, and it might be all three, but which one are you going to lean into today? We have to learn from our mistakes and our failures, and health and money are two of those big arenas that people don't like talking about. It's it's that self-awareness of shame and guilt and remorse. Yeah, and you know, people are even ashamed of being successful. Right? So, like, you've worked hard your whole life, and you can't tell anybody truly how successful you are. Um, Otherwise, it's bragging. But you can tell me, and I can congratulate you on a lifetime of hard work. And then, what I do that a lot of financial advisors don't do, we talk about the best way to start giving some of that money away to charity. Mm -hmm. Right? While you're alive. Not after you're dead. A lot of people say, oh, I'll leave this to them when I die. Why not give the joy while you're living, right? Why not be on the board of that foundation that is really true to your heart and then see that giving that money, you can see the change that it makes in your community. So I have a a 501c3 happiness hall of fame. And one of the things that I do, I have a homeless outreach and that gives me immense joy to almost every day go out onto the street make new friends. Unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of my friends out on the street and I know their names. I know their predicament. I know psychologically what's wrong with them, what medications they're at, but what they have in me is a friend. They have been abandoned by their families. They have been abandoned by society. So it gives me great joy. You know, everybody's so busy these days and now with COVID, you can't see anybody even if you wanted to but I can walk down the street and I can see all my friends that I've made over the years and the impact that I've made. And, and that's some of the joy that you can release um, while you're alive. Right. So that's what I encourage folks to do. And there's, there's so, and there's better ways to do it than just giving money. So for example, I live in Silicon Valley. What a lot of people have never heard of is a donor advised fund. So let's say you work for Google or Amazon or any company. It doesn't matter. And let's say you have a stock that you paid $10,000 for, and now it's worth $20,000. And you want to give away money to either your alma mater or your kid's school or your church or whatever. You can take that $20,000 stock. You can put it into a donor advised fund 
get the tax write-off, and now you've got $20,000 to spend as opposed to paying the tax on that $10,000 gain. And then by the end, you have less money to give away, money you're going to give away anyway. So I help folks with the most tax efficient way to give. Well, and there's two, there's two beautiful elements out of that. And the first part is the homeless outreach. You're just looking at those people with, with love and joy. And I, I'm very much cut from the same cloth. I, I always look them in the eye and I say, how are you? What is your name? Can I buy you a cup of coffee, a meal? Most people walk right by and don't look. That eye contact is so crucial. And I love that you're encouraging people to donate while they're alive. Not that bequeathment's not a beautiful thing. It is, but it's really nice to be here and enjoy it and, and see the fruits of your labor going to something that is engraved in your heart. So, so beautiful, Mike. Well, thank you. You know, every year at Stanford University, we have our annual event where we have people that have been inducted come out to Stanford and then give a, give a talk about, you know, what they're doing. And you can see those wonderful talks it's kind of like TED Talks for Happiness at happinesshalloffame.com. And there's some wonderful content there. Um, but to see the audience will be about 300 people. To see 300 people, you know, getting this great knowledge. And it's like a wedding, honestly. We have a signature cocktail. I don't drink alcohol, but we have the happiness cocktail, which I hear is delicious. Um, there's food and it's, you know, everybody gets dressed up. So it's, it's, a, it's a night that I get to see everything come alive, all my visions, right, and all my goals and seeing the impact and people coming up to me afterwards and saying, I learned a lot again this year. There's people that come back year after year after year. And so, again, wealth is not made to be hoarded. You know, when I got into this business, I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm going to, because my parents are from Dublin, Ireland. Both of them had a sixth grade education, right? That's just, that's what they got. They emigrated to the United States in 1959 and money was tight. I grew up with, you know, my dad was a carpenter. It was seasonal work. It was out of work. My mom was a cook. That was seasonal. So I know what it's like to wait with my mom on an unemployment line in order to get the money to buy the groceries. So when I started at Payne Weber in Manhattan in 1991, and here I am working for rich people, I'm like, well, these people must be the happiest folks in the world. They don't have to worry about money. It's not a problem for them. What I found out is the opposite. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. It has to do with your heart, right? It has to do with how you were raised, the wisdom that you were imparted with. I'm always looking for wisdom. Knowledge, you can get on the internet. You can open up a book. But I'm looking for eternal wisdom. And I can tell you that some of the most miserable people that I've ever met are billionaires. Because their whole raison d'etre was to hoard, hoard, hoard. Okay? It, and, and if you want proof of this, just watch the show Hoarders. When they go into these people's house who can't release anything, they're miserable, right? Otherwise, they'd be greeting you at the door like, look at all this stuff. I can hardly move around my house. No, they're miserable people. And so that can go right into people that, that save and invest and don't give it away. Some of it, you don't give it away all of it, right? How about 5%? 5% is not going to kill you. 
right? And then you can have the joy of living take place right in front of you. Well, it all comes down to your definition of success. And whenever I'm asked that, I always say, much like you, I think I've created a life by design. Yes. And and richness to me is spirit, what's in your heart. Mm-hmm. And again, Irish Nana, see, we have that in common. <laughs> she used to well, say, the more you give, the more you get back. Well, St. Augustine said it's in giving that we receive, right? But, you know, it's funny, the Irish, I've been to Ireland 18 times. We used to have a house over there. Uh, we were always supposed to go home. We were never supposed to stay in this country. But my sisters got scholarships. Uh, we all got scholarships, the four of us. And then it was just, you know, um, and then that didn't, that didn't happen. But what's funny about the Irish, you know, a lot of them are very, very happy people. But, but the money wasn't there. Right. So you had an alternative. You could be broken, unhappy, or you could be broken, happy. Which one do you choose? Because happiness is a choice. Absolutely. And, you know, the traditional European way of sitting down and breaking bread and having a meal, that's that's joyful. It's the simple things in life. And I join you, Mike. I know a lot of wealthy people and they're not happy. Money does not buy happiness, does it? it, it uh, I was shocked. I, I thought, oh, I, I, I am going to go into the solution here. And it, it just doesn't. Um, you know what does is relationships, friends. So if you want to watch uh, a good, funny TED Talk, watch mine. It's called The Critical Importance of Friends on Your Happiness. And science shows, I have a degree in psychology. And, and I, I'm friends with a lot of people in the field of happiness who are PhDs at Stanford and, and other places. And science shows that there is a direct link between the number of positive relationships that you have and your happiness. You know, uh, you said something that I completely agree with. Now, we're around the same age. And if you remember the 70s, a lot of people left their hometowns to go find themselves, right? I remember as a kid, my mom would say, oh, how's Frankie? Oh, you know, Frankie moved out to California to go find himself. Everything was about finding himself. But Bob Dylan, who many would say was the Pied Piper of the 60s and 70s, says, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. You see, Deb, we are the authors of the stories of the rest of our lives. And I always tell people, make that story one of growth, one of giving, one of joy, one of success, one of realizing the dreams that all of us have in our heart, but are too afraid to bring those to the fore. What are you waiting for? Whatever dreams that God put in your heart, let them out. That's how dreams come true, by going after them, not by being afraid and living a life of quiet desperation. So I'm glad that people like you, Deb, have these podcasts that can explore living your best life now. Well, and and it's even deeper for you because you come from that senior VP role 
And I used to be a medical case manager, Mike. And the biggest reason I got out of that role and moved into coaching was I lost five executives 10 years ago. And my name was always a pronoun or a verb. Like no one ever calls me Deb. It's always Deb Crow or are we going to Deb Crow this? And I lost three VPs and two CEOs to cancer. I was managing their short-term disability claim. It went to a long-term disability claim. They got the palliative diagnosis and I held all their hand at the end of life. And the synergy amongst the two things that they all said to me was, Deb, I didn't speak my truth Mm -hmm. and I tolerated living and working in a toxic culture. Amen to that. That sounds like today's workforce. And when people say to me, you can't put heart centered in front of leadership. Well, I did. And you put happiness in front of wealth management. And I think we're both pretty happy people. And I think this is serendipitous that we connected. I agree. And I can tell that you have a great soul, that you have a great heart. And people are going to benefit from your work. You know, you get it, Deb. You understand when you, when you are around the dying, they will tell you the truth, right? I have, look, I've lost a number, I'm doing this 30 years. So, and, and mostly who has wealth? It's the elderly, right? Because they've inherited it, you know, from their brothers and sisters or parents or, or they built something up. The young don't have any wealth, right? So I will lose clients every year and they will tell me exactly what's going on. And they will tell me towards the end, I should have done that, I should have done that. Right. So don't waste. Do it now. Be happy now. Choose today. Whatever it is that's on your heart, start today. You know, I'm known by a lot of folks through my happiness formula. And it's very simple. It's P plus P equals H. So the first P is purpose. The reason why if you're an alcoholic or you're you're a drug addict, you have lost the purpose of your life or you've never identified it or you've drifted from it. The second is progress. Purpose plus progress equals happiness. Okay? So I sat down 10 years ago and I wrote out the purposes of my life. And all of us have multiple purposes. The first one is to be the best husband to my wife. I love my wife, Shannon, so much. She's an EVP at Salesforce, so successful. But I met her when she was making $54,000 a year, okay? It wasn't about money. Uh, I wrote down, be the best husband to my wife, Shannon. Let me tell you, I love her so much. I told her that if she ever leaves me, I'm coming with her. (laughs) I love that. I learned a long time ago, it was cheaper to hire a babysitter than a divorce attorney. Absolutely. Right. So every Saturday night, I didn't wait on her to call the babysitter. Uh, I, I knew this. I, I, I grasped it. I was just like, I got it. I'm going to do this. So I had a stable of babysitters because they always drop off, you know, half an hour before. I had 10 of them. I could get on the line and get over right then. And she picked the movie. She picked the dinner that we were going to go out to. Right. Because Tony Robbins said that good relationships have 
So see your relationships as a place that you go to give and not a place that you go to take. We have a 50% divorce rate because there's too many people making marriage about, ay, 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 ay. it's not about that. It's about compromise. It's about surrendering. It is. It's about becoming as one. And if you truly care about your spouse, you'll let it go. You'll become as one. My father used to say with his sixth grade education, because Mike, at the beginning of marriage, it's your budding heads. And as the years go on, you start to become one. Mm-hmm. And then the only thing you care about is the welfare of your spouse. And that's why that generation didn't have a 50% divorce rate. Right. And then the second thing was be the best parent to my two kids. So tonight I'm getting on a plane and I'm going to Disneyland for reals. Uh, we've been vaccinated. It's a 25% capacity. And, you know, uh, tomorrow my son turns 12. That's his favorite place. And I have coached my kids in every sport they've ever done. And I have a confession to make. I hate soccer, but I did it anyway. (laughs) So when you make progress in your purpose, that's when the happiness shows up. Absolutely. How many years have you been married? I have been married since 03. So we're looking at uh, 18 years in September. Okay. I'm 10 years ahead of you. (laughs) <laughs> we uh it's I I love that story. We we have a boat and we boat in the summer. And we uh our anniversary is in September and we always sit on the back of our boat with our feet in the water and we look at each other and we have a drink and we cheers and we're like here's to be in record breakers. Beautiful. Because you're right. We are the minority and I love the analogy from your dad and it's a relationship. It's, it's your soulmate. It's your wing person. And it's, it's navigating the reasons, the seasons, and the lessons together. And, you know, my dad used to say, don't get caught up in the fluff. Yeah. Beautiful. Share with us what imperfections you bring to your heart-centered leadership. You know what? I'm a softie. That's my problem. I... I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So, you know, when it comes to that, uh, I've kept people on that I should have let go longer than than I should have, but I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to firing them. So that's, that's the biggest thing with me. I'm, I'm just not a hard, callous person. It's, it's interesting to hear you say that when I was closing my case management practice, I had four people on staff and I kept them all till they found another job. Mm-hmm. Probably a little bit longer than I should have, but it just felt right. And sometimes I think that's where that head, heart, gut alignment, sometimes our intuition kind of trumps our, our wisdom, as you say, or the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just felt right. And they always say, anytime you open another business, we'd come back to work for you tomorrow. And I, I don't take that comment lightly because I, I valued them so much. They were like family to me. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm going to switch to my fast fab four. We want to know what's on that brilliant mind of yours. First question, Mike, tell us something we don't know about you. Uh, I, I just learned 
to golf last June, and I am absolutely in love with the game. And if you would have told me uh, that I would have fallen in love with golf, I would have told you you were crazy because I couldn't even stand people talking about it. So I love golf. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a good it's a good mindfulness game too. I'm a yoga teacher, so a lot of concentration, a lot of pausing. I'm a golf lover. Finish this sentence for me, Mike. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is love. You know, my father wrote poetry for 50 years, and out of all of the poetry that he wrote, my favorite line is, love is the center point of living. We have to love each other, and you have to love yourself. Absolutely. You can't lead with love unless you love yourself. That's, that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> Share with us a book that you're reading or you've just read who the author was and why you chose to read it. Hmm. You know, I, I'm, I think one of the best books that anybody could ever read is Think and Grow Rich. Uh, you have to you have to have the right mindset in order to get anything accomplished. So Think and Grow Rich, and it's a very short book. Mm-hmm. It's by Napoleon Hill. And uh, you can read it in a weekend over the course of two days. It's, it's one of my favorite books. It was gifted to me in my 30s. And it's a book that I often go to, Mike, every year because it's what you said earlier in the podcast. There's always another nugget to pull out yep. for wisdom. Yep. And our mindset and our growth evolves every time we go back and read something like that. So that's a really, that's a really good one. And my last question is, what's one thing you want our listeners to remember about Mike Duffy? That you have to understand those who are the most successful are the most resilient. All of us have trauma in our past and you can let that trauma contaminate you and not let go of it. You can say this situation contaminated me. It hurt me permanently. Or you can be resilient and say this situation happened for me. I am better and stronger as a result of this. Well, I'm going to agree with you. Because I think there's a perception from people that people rise to the top with, with ease and, and no pain and no gain. And you know very well, coming from a senior VP role, it's lonely at the top. And a lot of leaders don't have their health. They've paid a price to get there. There's relationship breakdown. And the people that have that resiliency muscle... And I, I know you and I both are cut from the same cloth there. Those are the people that endure and we don't allow it to succumb us. We're like, okay, tomorrow's a new day. Let's get back up. And there's joy in that. There's power in that. Yeah, just release the past. My, my favorite uh, author is uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he would always say the past is ash. It's worthless. Absolutely. It's, you know, Irish Nana. What are you looking in the rear view mirror for when you're supposed to be looking out the windshield? 
You know, it's all those analogies. Well, Mike, it's been such a delight to have you on the podcast. I can see why we we landed up getting connected. And it's just so refreshing for me as an executive coach to see someone leave a company at an executive level. And like you said, become the CEO of your own ship. And just to see you smile ear to ear and enjoying it so much. I wish you so much success. Deb, thank you very much for having me on the show. To all that can hear the sound of my voice, God bless you and have a wonderful day. And I'm going to close and say all the best on your flight to Disneyland and give our love to Mickey and Minnie. Uh, Will do. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me once again on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.